This is Small Talk with 101 ESPN's Michelle Smallman. Presented by Liquid Spirits Beverage Catering Company. Hey, what's up? Welcome into episode 68 of Small Talk. I'm your host, Michelle Smallman, and we've got kind of a sports-heavy podcast on deck for you today, which is not really our style, which is odd, considering I work at a sports talk radio station. But we are going to talk with, first, Larry Hughes, former NBA player, about a variety of different things. I find Larry to be so interesting because one of the greatest debates in sports, one of the greatest debates of all time, is who is the greatest NBA player of all time, Michael Jordan or LeBron James. And Larry Hughes is one of only four people in history to have played with both Jordan and LeBron. So we're going to talk to him about that. I also want to talk to him about St. Louis. People from St. Louis love St. Louis. We love us some St. Louis. And I don't know why. I don't think that any other city in America, or at least not one that I've observed, talks about their city as much as us. And Larry loves St. Louis as much as I do. So I want to get his insights into why we do this. It's a very strange thing, and I need to get to the bottom of this behavior. Also, we're going to do a new quick feature at the end of this podcast. We're going to do it for a month. I know nothing about sports wagering. Everyone I know bets on games. Everybody. Sports is trending that way. And I want to get it in the fun. So we're going to bring in an expert to teach me how to do it. And more importantly, I'm going to bet on my first game, and this person's going to tell me what to do. But before we do any of that, I am here with Anthony, our producer. Anthony, what's up? What up? (laughs) Okay, let's do some three random things. And these three really couldn't be more random. So first off, I want to give a shout out to Mike Schilt, Cardinals manager. He won the National League Manager of the Year Award, and it was so well-deserved. Yay, Mike Schilt. When I think back to last season, midway through, when they removed Mike Matheny and instilled Mike Schilt as the manager... Cardinals were in a dark, dark spot. Oh, super dark. Not only had they not made the postseason in three years, there was dysfunction in the clubhouse. It was just a sloppy, sloppy style of play that the fans were not used to. It was bad. It was really bad. Fans had lost hope. It was bleak. Mike Schultz comes in. Things start to turn around. The Cardinals go on this run. They almost make the postseason. I know that what happened in the second half of last season has no bearing on the award this year. But in spring training, he said, we are going to clean up the fundamentals. We are going to clean up the base running. We are going to clean up the defense. And he did just that. The defense, the base running, and what I think more importantly, the culture of the team all turned around. We started seeing more of a St. Louis Cardinals style of play. And then he brought him back to the postseason. So, duh, what more do you want? Yeah, and you saw the guys having fun, which is something that I feel dissipated somewhat even during the Matheny era and so it was nice to see them having fun like the uh, the bench mafia just really getting yeah. in there it was it was a fun to see them be together what's that word oh camaraderie haha it's fun to watch the camaraderie camaraderie back <laughs> cardinals back i don't feel like the cardinals are fully back they've got to get the offense figured no, out yeah, yeah, yeah. i mean they made it to the NLCS but i think once we see the cardinals get to a place where they're a consistent postseason threat year in and year out again then we can say truly cardinals are back yeah, yeah, no. We've got to be proud of what we were able to do because none of us thought we could get there at the beginning of the season. So. That's right. Also, Mike Schilt, the week prior, had lost his mother, who he is super close with. So Love. I know it was a very emotional time for him, a very emotional win for him. But well-deserved. Shout out to him, National League Manager of the Year. Yeah. Random thing number two. Incubus is in town tonight. Yes. In St. Louis. And we going. 
We are going. So going. we are the we are some of the lucky ones because we do work at a radio station. We get tickets from time to time, but you have to put your name in early and submit for tickets. And I had never really asked for tickets before. I had never even really heard of a demand for tickets before. The demand for tickets for Incubus was insane. Yeah, not and everyone got ticks. No, no, you and I. No, you know? we lucked out. We lucked out. <laughs> it's 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 rare even in this business. Like there was well, when Tool came in town back in March, there was no tickets. Zero. Really? Yeah, none. Yeah, I wouldn't have submitted for tour. Yeah, I didn't either, but, but still. <laughs> just just for, for record, how it happens sometimes with bigger bands. Okay, well, I know for Incubus, almost everybody in the building submitted for these tickets, and they wanted to go. So they put them in a hat, allegedly. I'm going to go with that. I don't even know how they decipher. Well, what it is is that Michelle has multiple letters. Anthony has multiple letters. And so, therefore, our paper has to be longer, therefore bigger. And that's why they picked us out of the hat. Nailed it. See? Either way, we got tickets to Incubus. We're going tonight. I am so pumped. I've been listening to Incubus on repeat the past couple days. So this tour that they're doing is because it's been 20 years since Make Yourself Dropped, which is insane. It makes me feel old as hell. But I've been listening to that album. That still plays. Still holds up. It is so good. There's really maybe one or two weak links in the entire album, which is not bad. But when you think back to that time, late 90s, early 2000s, and I don't put Incubus in like the Red Hot Chili Peppers, Pearl Jam, alternative sector. I put them more with the, I don't know if you would call it new rock, but more with the corns and the PODs and the Limp Biscuits of the world during that time. And outside of maybe Linkin Park, Incubus's tunes hold up. More than any band of that era, I think. All right, right on. I still haven't gone down the Incubus. I'm, it's going to be shutters across the, the internet. I haven't gone down that album at all uh, for Incubus. It was 99, so at the time it was heavy, glam hip-hop, so like Mo Money More Problems was just out a couple years earlier. We're transitioning into Y2K was a thing. Like There was a lot going on at that time that I never went down there, but, uh, but hip-hop was pretty strong for me then, so I haven't really gone down. So it's like a new experience for me tonight, so I'm kind of excited about it. Well, don't tell anyone from work. Yeah, right? <laughs> because they will be pissed. Oh, I know. I told DeBond, but I was just like, you're not an Incubus guy? It's like, oh, no. I'm sure all the Incubus fans in this building are oh, yeah, thrilled that you tickets. got the yeah, tickets. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you Anthony got a plus one? Oh. Yeah. yeah. Okay, wait. So I want to rewind a little bit. Um... You mentioned more money, more problems. Does that yeah. mean that you are a big bad boy records fan? Um, I was definitely more a Tupac guy. Oh, so you're West Coast? Yeah. Well, I'm kind of all around, but but yeah, in terms of that. But feud, if you have to decide, I mean, you can't be both. I mean, you can't be both. At that time, hip hop is a culture. It's not. It's I not agree. something that goes by east and west, north and south. That's all media. Blah blah blah. But at that time, at the time, it was very very divisive. Yeah, it was secular because also because uh, technology hadn't caught up yet. So like they were still sending verses on planes to get across the country to, to be heard on a track to you know for collaborations and stuff. So it was just it was a different time. I, I guess that'd go west coast. I was east coast all the way. Biggie yeah. is in my mind the goat. He's he's really good. I, I just I, I love the East Coast. There's Wu Tang. There's a tribe called Quest. I mean, there, there's uh, Black Star with Talib and, and Mostaf. I mean, there's oh, yeah. so much on the East Side that I love. Um, I don't know. I just like the funk. Maybe that's what it is. It's the funk from G Funk. Well, you also talked about Y two K. The first thing that came to my mind was now. Remember the now music? It's like now fifty seven. Or yeah. <laughs> did you buy those? Did you no. go to like Sam Goody and buy CDs? I did go to Sam Goody. Buy. Mm. I went to Blockbuster Music to get CDs and listen to them before I bought them because that was one of the features that they offered. Um, but I was I was held up in the middle of nowhere, Kansas, for Y two K with a generator hooked up to a farmhouse in preparation for the end of the world. That is what my parents thought. What? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. Your parents literally thought the world oh, was ending. Well, Were you the, in a bunker? Are you guy, it wasn't a bunker. It was just the middle of nowhere, uh, like Blast from the Past with uh, Brendan Fraser. He comes out of out of uh, a hole that he's been there since the 60s. Anyways, whatever. It was middle of nowhere, Kansas. Like, you, to get anywhere else to see your neighbors, anything's at least a mile to two miles, three miles away. Like, just nothing. In town, in town, then like an hour drive sort of situation. Uh, so, yeah, we were out there just waiting for nothing to happen. Nothing happened. It was the stupidest thing. Were you underground? No. No, there was a crawl space below, so we didn't have anything underground. It was just in the farmhouse. Did you get the crawl space? No. Fuck no. It was, it was, it was just a house in the middle of nowhere with, so what with the was, hope that there was no mil- missile silos there. So what was the thought process behind that, though? Because if Y2K happened, wouldn't it? <laughs> I, I mean, did they just think, oh, okay, we're going to be safe in Kansas? I, I think they just thought that we could at least be safe for a couple of days because we had a gas generator, which would only, if you have a gas generator on full for a whole house, it's only going to last barely the night. So we have a, a tank that, that that has gasoline in it uh, there at the farm, and so we, we'd get gas from there whenever we needed gas. But I mean, we're only talking about like a Mad Max three month supply, and then you're out of gas. Then we're back to the road trying to figure out how to get places and get things and stuff. So yeah, it's like grapes of wrath. Yeah, it wasn't really like a well thought out plan. It was it was just enough to get us to the next couple of days and hope that nothing happened. But if something did, we were not prepared. Well, damn, speaking of not prepared, I was not prepared for this Y2K conversation. I was not prepared for this Y2K bomb that you were going to drop on me, no pun intended. We may need to revisit this after I marinate on it a little bit. And we'll also probably have to revisit Incubus because after you listen to Make Yourself in its entirety tonight live for the first time, I'll certainly want to get your thoughts. If we sit close to each other, I need you to tell me which songs were the weakest links. Okay, I will. Because everything's going to be... I don't want to say it on this podcast. Yeah, I don't want to say it. No, I want to know... I don't want to shit on Incubus. I want to go in fresh, and then afterwards, we'll talk, and I want to know what was the weakest link. And maybe it's different live than it is on the album that uh, doesn't feel as weak. I don't know. I feel like bands are different live than they are on albums a lot of times. For sure. I love Black Keys. They were so good live. I look at Black Keys in an entirely different light now. Mad respect for them. But that was a good show. It was great. I loved it. Anyway, Incubus tonight. I'll see you there. Okay, final thing for three random things. Anthony, do you work out? Uh, no. <laughs> Not as much as I used to. I want to start again. You don't work out at all? Nothing right now? No, nothing. An occasional walk, but nothing Nothing regimented. Okay, so when you work out, what type of workouts are you doing? Uh, mostly cardio and then uh, arm stuff. As in, you go to the gym, maybe hop on the treadmill, do some free weights? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're not going to a class? No. Is it a class? <laughs> yeah. Am I not? There's so many. So I go to tons of classes. Um, mine are typically boot camp style classes. Oh, you like to be yelled at. I like people to tell me what to do. You have so much on your plate the entire day. I don't want to have to think about it. I hate working out. I hate exercise. I love to eat. So it's a necessary evil. You got to play for the tie. So when I go there, I do not want to have to think about it. I don't want to have to think about reps. I just want someone to say, run this long for these different speeds and inclines. Do these reps. Done. So, my girlfriends have been telling me about this contraption called the Megaformer. Do you know what this is? No. It's It's a contraption, so you get in it? In it, on it. It's bizarre. So, I go to my first Megaformer class last night. Kinky. It's called Legree. (laughs) But wait, wait. Do you Legree or (laughs) Dilagree? This is a great question. I will find out. I'm Googling this so I can show you. What this looks like. So it's basically this, I I don't know how else to describe it other than a contraption, but it has a front and a back and then a carriage in the middle that's operated by springs that slides back and forth. So you're doing these, what you would think are easy movements 
on this machine, but very slowly. I have never been more sore in my entire life than from this megaformer. I'm, I'm picturing like what toddlers get in and roll around the, the floor in where it just like uh, suspends them in the air somewhat while their legs dangle and they try to use their legs to walk. Oh, like so a go, bouncy seat or something? Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm picturing no. you being in. Okay. So as you can see, it's this thing that you slide back and forth in. Oh. Okay. But it is supposed to tone you up. And I feel it today. Within the first three minutes of this class, my entire body was on fire. My body was shaking. I thought I was going to have to leave. It was so bad. I was so bad at it. Is this like a Nordy track? <laughs> it looked like a Nordy track, but like bigger. <laughs> no. What was that other one, though? That infomercial? Not the Nordic track, but that one machine where you could do a hundred different moves on oh, it. Oh, the flex steel or flex something <laughs> yes. other. Had like prongs in the back. I knew people that had that in Florida, man. Oh, my God. It was a thing. Wow, flex. Yeah, no pun intended. Right. But yes, this mega form. So I want to try to Fuck start. You, that was funny. <laughs> <laughs> right, I want to try to do this mega former and see if I can get super toned. Okay. But it was all these really ripped, for lack of a better term, housewives. Like, all these hot babes. All these tough-ass moms. All these tough-ass moms who had, do your homework. Who had shredded bods. And I'm going to try it. I'm going to keep going. But I need people to tweet me or Instagram DM me if you've done the Megaformer. Because I need some tips. I really, really need tips. Because I was near death yesterday. Okay, well, Anthony, thank you so much. We're going to have you back for reviews. And we'll talk to you in a few. Yay! Oh, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. All right. So, Larry, you're known for a lot. You're known, obviously, for a long and successful NBA career. You're known for the Larry Hughes Basketball Academy and for pouring back into St. Louis. But there's one part of your resume that I think doesn't get enough shine, and that is your stint in the Nelly Kelly Rowland <laughs> dilemma video where you played Kelly Rowland's boyfriend. Yeah. So you have to take me back to that because as a kid growing up in St. Louis in the early 2000s, all these Nelly videos were so cool, the way that he incorporated yeah. A lot of St. Louis athletes. I remember DeMarco Farr was in the Air Force One video, yep, and yep. I always just ask him about that. But tell me about that moment about being on set there. And that's some St. Louis on St. Louis crime there with Nelly stealing Kelly Rowland, who was your girlfriend in the video. Yeah, it, it was it was different. I mean, it was an experience for me. Uh, I've never been on a you know any sort of uh, shoot, uh, whether it be movie or video or anything. So I was introduced to the you know the hurry up and wait you know sort of situation where yeah. it's like. You know, you're, they tell you to be there, you know, at this time and you don't actually do anything to this time. So I was a little frustrated, you know, just my, my first time, you know, going in. But it was definitely an ex- experience that I can tell my kids about, you know, just as far as the, you know, how big Kelly Rowland is. You know, just that video still coming on, you know, like the, the throwback videos, the clips, or it'll come on like the throwback on, on the radio. And, totally. I, you know, and they always say, you know, Dad, you're in that video or people mention you in that video. But um it's the wardrobe. I remember the wardrobe. Uh, jerseys were huge back then. Uh, so I was excited about the fact that, you know, there was a stylist there. So I would get maybe jerseys that other people didn't get or uh-huh. they were able to source, you know, different jerseys. Yeah. So I was excited about that piece. And I actually got um, uh, the Chargers jersey, uh, which was one of those jerseys that didn't a lot of people didn't have. Mm-hmm. So I was able to get that and they let me keep it, you know, from the, from the movie set. I mean, from the video shoot. Uh, so that was one of the things that stood out. But just that, you know, just that whole presence of it's it's a mark like it still comes on that song still is played that video still comes on and I kind of still look 
you know, the same age as, <laughs> yeah, I, you as I do now. <laughs> so it's good. You talk about the fashion and that. I remember when I first worked with DeMarco, I made him sit down and we watched the video back and he's like, I'm wearing a brown velour yeah. jumpsuit. Yeah, 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 for sure. <laughs> The cell phone always gets a lot of chatter yeah. from the video because it had the Excel spreadsheet. But you yep. just you look back and it doesn't feel like that long ago yet. It's kind of a time capsule almost about how so many things have changed. Well, it's, it's always good to do those things and then have the ability to look back. I mean, a lot of people don't get to, to do something and then have it filmed. I mean, a lot of people don't get that experience. Yeah. Uh, so just for me, you know, like the jerseys, I mean, the jerseys was like seven times my actual size so i mean everybody was wearing the big the big shirts and the big clothes back then so yeah. my jersey was like a, a six or seven x but you know I, I thought it was cool at the time but if i put that on now i mean you're like you know what, what are you doing so it, totally. it, it was cool well i want to rewind a little bit you're a young kid growing up here in st louis obviously you have a ton of talent you go to cbc you win a state championship you win an aau championship you're being recruited by major programs all over the country but you decide to stay home and play basketball at St. Louis University. So what was behind that decision? What made you want to stay here and go to SLU? I I think family was important for me. I had a a high school coach that actually went over to St. Louis University staff um, the second year into my my high school uh, career. So I I knew people there. Um, I had access to, um, you know, go down and play with the guys and just get a feel uh, for who those those guys were. Uh, So I became comfortable. And I think that that played a, a, a huge part in my decision. I think that plays a huge part of my life now is when I'm comfortable, then I, I, I can be more effective. Mm-hmm. Um, but my family was here, my mom, my little brother. I knew that they would get a chance to watch me play, you know, every chance they could. Um, you know, if I had to, you know, if I had to go, you know, out of town, I mean, they would be able to visit, you know, go to some of the games, but not as many as they would, you know, if I was here at home. So I wanted to be here for them to watch me play so I can support them in any way I can, but also just to, to represent St. Louis. I mean, I don't think anything is, is better than, you know, representing, you know, where you're from. But I'm imagining a lot of schools were coming after you, yeah. a lot of big programs. Was there one school in particular that maybe pursued you really hard that it was tough for you to turn down despite all those factors that SLU presented? Well, all of them. I mean, all of them were big-time programs with big-time coaches that have, you know, had big-time players that have made it to the, the NBA, pl- play professional. I mean, these are Hall of Fame coaches, I mean, at Michigan and, and uh, Kansas um, Roy Williams and had it, you know, had to tell him no. Uh, Ku, I didn't even go and visit uh, Ku officially. I just told him, you know what, I'm going to make this decision. You know, I'm not going to come there officially to visit. They try to convince me to come visit, and I had to tell him like, this is the decision that I'm making. So those were, you know, the top programs at the time. Um, so they were all very difficult to tell no. And Jim Beheim, who was at Syracuse um, at the time. I mean, again, one of the Hall of Fame coaches. Uh, and if I didn't go to St. Louis U, I probably would have ended up you know, at Syracuse University. So that was a tough uh, decision I had to make and a tough call I had to make as well. Okay, 1998, you get drafted. And even though you had gone through the draft process and the talent was there, what's one thing either on or off the court that you weren't anticipating or had to really adapt to once you got into the NBA? I think it's just a consistent workload. I mean, just the consistent, the, the effort that you have to give, you know, on a day-to-day basis just to be successful or just to maintain, you know, your ability, right? I mean, you have to do more and more and more to get that much better. Uh, but just what I realize is that, you know, it takes a lot of work, you know, on a consistent basis just to, you know, just to hold my spot. And that's, you know, I wasn't used to that. I mean, I was used to, 
you know, if I could, you know, just give a little bit, then I could, you know, stand out and I can be, you know, head and shoulders above. Let your natural talent, like my natural talent, you know, take over. But once you get to the league, I mean, everybody has that natural talent, and then the expectations are just, you know, you know, out of the roof. I mean, they're paying you millions of dollars, so the expectations, I think, um, were were different as well. Load management is kind of the buzzword phrase that's happening now. You hear LeBron talking about it all the time, and I'm imagining that's kind of what you're talking about. And I was reading this article on ESPN a couple weeks ago about how the worst thing a lot of NBA players say is plaguing the league right now is their lack of sleep because they're having these back-to-back games. They're flying from time zone to time zone and then you're supposed to play at a peak performance the next day and how difficult that is. And I I was actually listening to LeBron talk about it today and he was saying that even at the lower level, and this is something with the Larry Hughes Basketball Academy, Mm -hmm. I'm sure that you help young kids deal with, that even at the AAU level, the load management is a lot. I, I think it's a real thing. I think it's a real thing. I mean, it wasn't as huge when when I was playing. I mean, I you know I can raise my hand and say, yeah, I load load manage myself. Um, if there was a back to back and we had you know a shoot around that next morning and we you know we played that evening, I took that time to rest and I would show up you know before game time you know and prepare myself to do my job. But that was something that I had to take upon myself to say, hey, you know, we got in at two o'clock in the morning. I can't be at shoot around at you know, 10 o'clock in the morning and then play again at 7 p.m. Like my body is just not going to, it's not going to make it. You yeah. know, I'm not going to be the best that I can be. But I think now a lot of the science and a lot of those things have caught up to the teams and the organizations and, and we're able to talk about those things. So I'm definitely, you know, all in support of, of low management and what, you know, what it really means is that you want to be at the highest level, you know, when it's time. And some of that is is taking some of those early days off or some of those dog days and and, and taking a couple of those days off. It seems, too, with technology that players now are so hyper-aware of their bodies and what it takes to fuel and recover. You read about guys, as soon as the game's over, they're plugging in different things and tracking their breathing and their heart rate and things like that. And I'm sure that that's certainly a positive for players now but then you look at the flip side of it but with that technology comes social media mm-hmm. and it comes all of this this access to yep. everyone so when you look back at your career do you think that it was a positive that you didn't have all of that stuff the social media and maybe the noise or do you think that you could have benefited from having that platform and all this technology i think there's a balance i think that you definitely can benefit because i now see um how we develop you know with, within the academy of of you know getting the heart rate up and making sure that you're taking a game like shots and you're matching your heart rate with the, you know, with the sort of shots that you're taking to somewhat simulate, you know, how that game is being played. So while you're training, you could simulate that game. Once you get to that game, you can be that much better. Wow. So I think that there's answers now to what we all knew, like my body's tired. I'm not, I don't have the pop that I normally have. Well, now they have answers for that. Like they've, they've, you know, they've given a definition for that. So now you have to sit down and you can rest and then you can come back and be ready. But I think that there's a balance of knowing the answers to everything and just kind of, you know, listening to your body. I think that there's a balance that we all have to 
have to understand there. Yeah, now they can track all of your measurables, and it's oh, not yeah. just, oh, Larry, were you out late last night? Oh, yeah. Were you not partying? Oh, yeah. So I think that's probably beneficial for players, too, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we run <laughs> Connexon, which is a system that we run within the academy, which um, NBA players, they have. I mean, and it's talking about the, the amount of stress and strain that you put on your body, the load, the acceleration, the deceleration, all of these things that they're, they're tracking. Um, so what we're doing is now we're giving those kids some access to that information so you know when they are you know 23 24 25 years old they understand their bodies and they understand that that training process a little bit more but you're right i mean they you know blood sugar and and you know heart rhythms and everything i mean they can they can track all that stuff now which is crazy how often do you get asked because you're only one of four players who played with michael jordan and lebron james how often do you get asked about the goat debate uh, always. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, always. always, always, always. Not. Th- I think it's a cool. I think it's a cool debate. I think that uh, you know those guys are amazing. I mean, I think with with MJ and and his status or where he sits on you know on my mantle, or he's he's the the goat. He's the greatest sure. to ever do it. Uh, and then you have to think, you know, Bron and Kobe. I mean, just you know, in my area of guys that I watched or played against. I mean, you got those those older guys like Wilt and and, and all of that. But absolutely. I was out of that. I was out of that mix. I'm just talking about those guys that I've either played against or seen play. So when people talk about this goat debate, you have obviously an interesting perspective since you played with both of them. Everyone wants to talk about rings or certain stats, but what is one measurable, whether it's tangible or intangible, that you think people should put more weight into? It's an edge. It's a mentality. Um, it's a you know a stand you in front of me and and see who's going to come out on top. That I think. MJ has that edge. Not saying that Bron doesn't, he doesn't have it, but I just think that if you put those two guys in, in front of each other, um, I think MJ's, his edge, his mentality, um, you know, who he is, I think he comes out, you know, on top of that. And then that would say, you know, I'm the GOAT. And to your point, anything I read about Michael Jordan from his former teammates like yourself or his former coaches or just people who were in his orbit, they say he was just relentless in all facets of his life. Every little thing was a competition to him. I know you've mentioned before how even his trash talk in practice was elite and unrelenting. But I think a lot of people who are at the very top of the mountaintop and really any craft, it seems like that intensity is just part of their fabric and something that they can't turn off. You know, the great part about it is those that are able to channel that into a way that it's a it's a positive ball of energy, um, you know, that's it's remembered. Um, you know, some sometimes people look down on it. But as a whole, that drive is what people can point to to say that's what MJ had. I mean, in the time if he got into it with a teammate or had a scuffle or you know, had a verbal match with someone, you know, you you took that. But if you can point to one thing, if you know that he's going to fight, he's going to fight tooth and nail. And I think that that's, you know, his advantage, you know, at the end of the day. And I think that if players, you know, utilize what they have, you know, with that same energy, um, you know, we'll, we'll we'll see some more greats. I mean, he's just the MJ's just the greatest. Yeah. You know. So having played with both of them and now having this academy, you have this wealth of knowledge yep. just throughout the league. But to be with these two great players or play against someone like Kobe, what's one thing maybe from Jordan or LeBron that you've learned that you impart now on young players? I think the the work ethic. You know, the amount of time to stack consistent days on top of each other. I think that that's their advantage. I think that that's what sets them apart from 
anyone else is their ability to be consistent and stack those days on top of each other. I mean, you can be consistent for two days and then have a lapse, and then you can be consistent for four days. And those guys are consistent, you know, pretty much on a day-to-day basis on how they carry themselves, how they take care of their bodies, and how they, you know, basically foster what, you know, who they are and what they want everyone to see. And I think that that's, that's a good thing to have. You played in a lot of big markets. You were in New York, Chicago, the Bay Area, just to name a few. But you came home. Yep. What is it about St. Louis, whether it was your choice to go to SLU or to maybe not move on to a bigger city or market after you were done playing? What is it about being here that makes you always want to come back? Uh, I'm comfortable. Like, this is this is home. Um, I'm from downtown, but I live in West County. But <laughs> this is <laughs> this this is home. I, I feel comfortable in, with the streets. I, I understand the people. This is family to me. I feel like um, I am a, a son of of the city. Uh, mm-hmm. So everything that I did when I went away, I was I wanted to shine a good light on the city. I wanted to bring things that I was able to obtain. I wanted to bring those things back to St. Louis. Um, so really, it only made sense for me to actually come back to St. Louis because every time I went out, I was always talking about, you know, what we're doing in St. Louis, how good we are in St. Louis. So these are the products. These are the things that come out of St. Louis. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if I don't come back to St. Louis, uh, you know, it, it's not really true. And I think that, that without, you know, trying to do it, I think that I'm I'm true to who I am and I'm true to St. Louis uh, and I represent, you know, home, you know, to, to the end. I think that's so interesting you say that because before this interview, you and I were talking about when I went up to Bristol and they called me Midwest Michelle as a joke because (laughs) they could bring up anything, McDonald's, the NFL, somehow I'd bring it back to St. Louis and listening to you talk, it sounds like you're the same way. And whether I talk to other broadcasters from St. Louis or athletes from St. Louis or people who I met in New York from St. Louis, we all do that. We're all so proud to be from here and we want to tell everybody how great it is. And I notice other people I meet from different cities that are also great don't have that same sense of civic pride. So I, I just wonder where that comes from because I don't remember ever being told growing up St. Louis is the best. It's just something right. that inherently we have. Yeah, I, I do. I agree. A thousand percent I agree. I think we're, we're smaller than Chicago so when people say like, what is St. Louis? So we're, we're like Chicago but we're a little bit smaller as far as the city and downtown. Uh, but I think that that's something that we, you know, that we use as well. I mean, I definitely use it because people they know St. Louis, but they don't really know St. Louis. So you have to give them yeah. like the big city next to it. And it was always Chicago. That was a big city that you totally. can say, this is how we kind of compare ourselves. But I think it's just a little bit of, 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 you know, what this place offers. I mean, I think it's, it's heavy on, you know, high school. So I think that that builds, you know, relationships, um, you know, the people that you meet in high school, um, you know, if you're, if you're able to, you know, make a connection, I think that that lasts and I think that that grows, but it's it's hard to explain, you know. It's hard to explain. But I'm a I'm a person that that lives and dies and breathes, you know, just St. Louis. And I'm glad when someone you know mentions that they're from St. Louis or represents you know represents St. Louis or feels that pride, you know, that I always feel about representing St. Louis. I'm always proud to see other people say, "Hey, you know, I'm from St. Louis," or I, you know, I represent St. Louis as well. Yeah, and additionally, with that sense of civic pride. Also comes a sense of responsibility. A lot of people from St. Louis who leave the nest and have success or perhaps a certain platform feel responsible for St. Louis and they want to promote and elevate the city and they want to pour back in and make it the best that it possibly can be. 
And I know for you, once you decided your playing career was done and you moved back to St. Louis, you certainly wanted to pour back in. So you started the Larry Hughes Basketball Academy, which is doing amazing things in St. Louis. But what was that process like? What was it like to have this idea to start this academy, to get it up and running and then gain some traction here in the community? Uh, Well, starting the academy, I wanted to I wanted to standardize, you know, the development process. I wanted to make sure that our kids were really focused on development and, and, and really building that foundation of fundamental development, but just overall uh, developing their game, developing their basketball IQ. Um, so what I wanted to do was make sure that that matched, you know, their off the court abilities as well. So we wanted to create that academy feel where if you're doing well within the academy on the court, you're doing well off the court, then you're rewarded for, you know, those sort of actions, those, those sort of activities. So basketball is just our vehicle to help and support the kids that are on their journey to be whatever they're going to be. I mean, we're not expecting, you know, a ton of NBA players to come out of this factory of, of, of basketball, uh, but we are expecting, you know, good young people um, that are able to get back in their community, give back to their community, um, be good people uh, to the person standing next to them, uh, have manners, have life skills. That's what the academy is, is more so about. And then the basketball piece is that, that fun piece that keeps us you know, engaged, keeps our, our fitness together, uh, helps us continue to meet new friends and meet new people, see you know, life from, from someone else's eyes. Um, that's what the academy does as well. That's incredible. So you're just you're using basketball as the vehicle to help these kids become well-rounded and successful individuals. I love that so much. And you're also doing an incredible project called Just a Kid from the Lou. Can you explain that to me? Well, we're just working on that. I mean, I think like we talked about, you know, just having that, you know, that pride, you know, being from St. Louis and and just shorten it up of being, you know, from the Lou um, gives it a little bit of, uh, you know, kid-friendly energy, yeah. you know, a little bit of swag, like we, you know, like the kids call it. Uh, but just really highlighting, you know, anyone in the area, whether they're young or old, um, that are doing things that are that are special, uh, whether it be an artist, whether it be a musician, uh, whether it be a counselor, a school teacher, uh, whatever it is, we want to make sure that people in St. Louis know that they're from St. Louis. So we want to also always shine light on, you know, anyone that's from St. Louis that's doing a great a great deal. Uh, we're taking, you know, um, inquiries, you know, on the website to submissions from the webs on the website just to open up our horizons on who's actually, you know, doing great things that are outside of our network. So we're not just singling out, you know, people that are in our academy. You know, this mm-hmm. is people that are in our area, in our town, that are doing great things, whether they're young or old, and we want to shine shine some light on them. That's incredible. Well, I have to ask you about another kid from the Lou, and Jason Tatum, your godson. So whether it's you or Jason Tatum or Bradley Beal or David Lee, since we don't have an NBA team here in St. Louis, our feeling of ownership and our feeling of pride in the NBA is through you guys, through the players. And I think the entire city of St. Louis erupted when he had that dunk over LeBron yeah, in the yeah, Eastern yeah, Conference sure. Finals. What was it like for you to watch that moment, by the way? I'm excited. I, I, I know it's a it's a long journey, um, and I've been in that position, so I don't get too high, I don't get too low. I'm excited for him. I'm proud of him. Uh, but just the, the fact that he is you know, reaching his goals. I mean, these are things that he, you know, wrote down on a piece of paper and things that he, you know, wanted to do and to actually see him doing those things and, and doing them at a level where, you know, he's, you know, this is his third year, but mm-hmm. I mean, he's, you know, six year veteran. I mean, he understands the game of someone that has been around, you know, five or six years and that's his advantage. Um, 
so again, I'm just 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 happy for him and, and continue for him to grow. So he has that incredible rookie year. Then last year didn't really pan out the way he had hoped. Yeah. But what is it about his game specifically when you watch him that you can tell everyone he's going to be the star that everyone expects him to be? Well, I think it's basketball IQ. I think he understands the game. He sees what's going on on the offensive end and on the defensive end. Uh, he can score the basketball. He has great footwork. He uh, has great length. Uh, he rebounds the basketball. Um, on the defensive end, we're trying to give him the you know, offensive rebound a little bit more. Um, and be a little bit better playmaker. Uh, but for me, it's just like making sure that the things that I see, I make sure that his dad knows because his dad, is, you know, they're in constant communication about how sure. to make sure that his game can get to where it goes and just giving those little, piece, those little uh, pieces that I see as far as to what can help him and what's going to actually, you know, put him in the space that he wants to be in. You watched Jason grow up. So was there ever a point now looking back that you can pinpoint and say, that's when I knew that this kid had what it takes. That's when I knew that this kid could be a star in the NBA. So I need to start imparting some knowledge on him to help get him ready for that. Um, you know what? You, you never really know. And I think that he was a kid that played, you know, multiple sports. He was a kid that had length. He was a kid that came from a good background and that's athletic and also size. So you kind of figure that he, you know, if he continued to grow and he continued to build, he, he would have a chance. And now that he's you know, put in all of those hours, it is a fact of those little small conversations that you had, those little tips that you you gave. Uh, maybe they weren't listening. Maybe they, maybe they were. Maybe that did sink in. Maybe he was watching. You know, you get those things, but you never really know, mm-hmm. right? You never really know until he's, he's all said and done, and then he can start to reflect on the things that helped him along his journey. You know, I've started to do those things in my head as to all of the people that, played a part in, you know, my journey to be successful. So for him right now, he's kind of in the moment, but it's for us, it's just kind of giving those tips to give him something to chew on and to continue to build his brain and continue to build his basketball knowledge so he can become, you know, even more successful than he is. Okay, so last one for you. Outside of Jason or any of the other St. Louis products in the NBA, who's one person that you think is just absolutely must-watch TV that you would want to schedule your night around to watch him play? You just love his game. Uh, I like watching watching K K D play. Um, you know, he's a great talent obviously as as we we've all seen. But now I think uh one of my one of my guys that I like watching is Siakam. He does things that, you know, kind of a little bit off rhythm. Uh, he may take a step when he took a half step when he should have took a full step sort of deal that like watching as a basketball player I'm like, okay, that was that was that was that was good. So he's one of the guys now that I'm, I just started to pick up, you know, watching and, and hopefully, you know, I'll I'll see him grow. Larry Hughes, you are the best. Thank you for taking the time to do this. Thank you for taking the time to drive out here and sit in studio with me. Thank you for all that you do for St. Louis. And for those wondering how you can get more information on the Larry Hughes Basketball Academy, just head to lhbasketballacademy.com. You can find everything you need there. Thank you for having me. Appreciate you. I'm going to be really honest with you guys right now because I feel like we can do that here on this podcast, but there's been a shift in sports and the way we cover sports and the future of sports. And honestly, I am not up to speed in this arena and I need to bring in an expert. I'm talking about sports wagering. It's becoming legal all over the country now. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have no idea how to wager games. So I'm bringing in an expert. And when I say expert, I mean featured in Forbes magazine, Yahoo Finance, 
Huffington Post type expert. John Price of Sports Information Traders is going to join me for a quick hit for the next few weeks to kind of give me a little wagering 101 class and also help guide me. So if I do put down some money on some games, I know what I'm doing. So, John, I've been missing out on all the fun. Thank you for taking the time to do this. And I'm going to need a lot of help here. Great. Thank you. And it's great to be on with you. You know, wagering is fun, but it's more fun when you're winning. There's an element to wagering where the adrenaline comes from the action. And action is a term for, okay, I've got money on the game. What I'm seeing and the results that I'm seeing is going to translate into me winning or losing. It's almost like you're watching one of your kids in an event. You really want that team to win or cover. So that's one thing that's addicting about it. But you got to have control when it comes to wagering. You can't just bet on teams that you love or on the highlights that you've seen because wagering is not fun when you lose. Well, I think that's why I've personally avoided it for so long because I can't stand to lose 20 bucks when I wager. So since this is wagering 101 and I'm a novice in this area, what's the best time of day to make a bet? Should I do it the day of the game? Should I do it the day before? Tell me when I should start paying attention and actually put some money down. The general public can only go on what they see. So when you see two teams play on Monday Night Football and one team destroys the other, your immediate thought is, well, the team that won is on its way and the team that lost is done for. Well, that couldn't be further from the truth because every game that we look at and every game that's wagered on is based on the variables that exist between those two teams that are playing each other. Nothing that you've seen, nothing that's happened relates to who we're wagering on. And we like to get our clients on games two or three days in advance of kickoff because the 36 to 48 hours from kickoff backwards is the most wagered on time on these games. Interesting. Okay, well, we are a few days out, so let's talk about an actual game then. Here locally, we have the number 11 Florida Gators at Mizzou. And if I'm doing this right, the lines say that the Gators are a seven-point favorite. So, John, how would you wager this game? Yeah, the line opened at minus seven, so that means that Florida is a seven-point favorite. Right now, the line is at minus six and a half. Now, when Las Vegas puts odds out, it's not them saying, well, Florida seven points better. They want to draw even money on both sides. If they put Florida as a three-point favorite, you would see that number at seven right now, which would mean that everybody's betting on Florida. But guess what? Early money is on Missouri. That's why that number went from seven closer to zero to six and a half. Now for Missouri, Kelly Bryant, their quarterback's been out. They miss him. He's coming back. They're 0-3 in their last three games. They've only given up 21 points in those games. He's got to be his best. They cannot turn over the ball to have a shot. Florida, Kyle Trask, dynamic quarterback. Their offense is going to be aggressive. They need to take care of the football. This is a sneaky game for them. If they play efficient, it won't be close. If they turn over the ball, Missouri has a chance. In terms of wagering, Michelle, there's two things you can do. You can either wager on the point spread or you can wager on the total. The total is a number that Las Vegas puts out there, and it's the total that they feel is the number that both final scores of each team will equal at the end. So if they felt the final score of this game was going to be 24 to 20, they would put the total at 44 points and tell people to bet over or under that number. The total in this game is 51 points. And in the last eight games that Missouri has played, the under has come in seven of those eight times. So they're playing closer, lower-scoring games. 
So in this play, I'm going to take the under 51 points in the Florida-Missouri game. To reiterate, mostly for myself, taking the under 51 points, Mizzou-Florida game. I've never put down money on a game before. I've never actually wagered. But like I said, I'm missing out on all the fun. Everyone is doing it. I'm sick of them talking about it. It's like that one person who didn't watch Game of Thrones. You know who you are. I don't want to be the person left on the outside. I know people are going to Instagram DM me. They're going to tweet at me asking how to get in touch with John to get some information on some other games. SportsInformationTraders.com. You can find his phone number and everything you need to know there. John, thank you so much for this great information. Thank you for the tutorial. Hopefully we make some money. And I look forward to speaking to you next week. Thank you, Michelle. Sit back. Relax. Close your eyes. Take a deep breath. It's time for a review on the Small Talk Podcast with Michelle Smallman. Brought to you by Land Rover St. Louis. That always makes me feel like I'm at a spa. I'm glad you feel that way. Great work putting that together. Thank you. Thank you. Assembling that. Okay, time for a review. This is from... I always get nervous that I'm going to mispronounce these, but... You want me to say it and I'll just mess it up with pride? I think it's... (laughs) I think it's D-Thack... Thank you so much. Review where the party's at. Five stars. Michelle Smallman is without a doubt the most relatable person who makes a living in front of a microphone. Probably because I'm not smooth or polished at this at all. Um, He says each and every small talk podcast offers something fresh and unique, gives you a heavy dose of sports and pop culture, and makes you laugh out loud for real. While I'd prefer my daughter not go into media, listen to the Lux podcast, as to some clues why. If she can make people happy like Smallman's podcast does, I guess I'd be okay with it. This podcast is underrated. Keep up the great work. Oh, nice. Isn't that so very nice sweet? of... D-Thack. D-Thack. What up, D? Appreciate <laughs> you. What up, D-Thack? Yeah, let's go with D. I wish you could respond to these reviewers, because I would respond to D-Thack and say, that made my whole week. That was so sweet. Thank you so much. It's amazing how the little things really change our perspectives and stuff. I know, but that's what sucks about this, is that you can't respond to these people. Well, hopefully he's listening, and he knows Mm -hmm. how much I appreciate it. But I get that a lot, though, from dads who have listened to the Lux podcast, or who have heard me talk about some of the things. Oh, about being a woman in media? Yeah, some of the, the challenges. Yeah. And they say... Thank you for talking about that stuff because it makes me never want to let my daughter get into this industry. But it's not their decision. It is not their decision. And I also tell them, listen, pops, I appreciate your perspective on this, but she'll probably have to deal with this in any walk of life and any craft and any profession. Any position, any business, anything. And that's that's the worst part about it is it's not about the fact that that we can't stop them from, well, it is the shitty part that we can't stop them from experiencing it, but it's everywhere. It's not limited to just sports. Especially now with social media, right? Yeah. I just think to their point, when you are put into a quote unquote visible situation like Lux or I, people, creeps or rude people feel more agency. They feel more entitled to tell you what they think of you, which I guess comes with the territory we don't want everything to just be sunshine and rainbows but you don't have to be rude you don't have to be pervy no there's it's not about being sunshine and rainbows it's just having respect for another fucking human like, <laughs> this is not this is not difficult just care you know, you know what when you break break it down that way for sure yeah all right well thank you dthack that was awesome D. Thank you so much to Larry Hughes. Thank you to you, Anthony. Thank you to John Price for the wagering information. We're going to be back in action next week. Our bitching and complaining paid off. We have Saruti 
Next week, we're going to record it early. We're going to get it out of the way before Thanksgiving because everybody knows that week is kind of a wash anyway. So, yes, I'm very pumped to reunite with Rudy. And now that we had our whole two-episode reunion, we can get back down to the normal biz, the regular BS that you're used to. So we will be back in action next week. But until then, see you later. Thanks for listening to Small Talk. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or the Podcast One app.